had a chance to enjoy the heat yesterday. And one of the things that I had been wanting to do for a while, because I hadn't been on that part of the, the creek before, is I decided to go um, tubing with my kids on Cottonwood Creek. And I had never been in that specific area. There's further down all the way towards the, uh, the inlet and everything. I've been down there. Uh, but I hadn't been in this area. And it's funny that when you, when you think you know where you're going, you have this confidence because I've already been there. I, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly how this scenario plays itself out. But that wasn't the case yesterday. So Kelly and I decided uh, she was going to drop us off, and we got dropped off. And I said, probably half hour, you know. Uh, two hours later, we show up. Kelly's not there. She'd gone off, gotten food, come back, was driving around the neighborhood, seeing different things. And uh, we showed up. The sun had already started to go behind the trees. And uh, she says, well, that was, a, that was a really fun half hour for you guys. And I said, yeah, it was great, but it felt like two. But it, it reminded me of even just some of these songs this morning as is, is we, we go through life, there's things that we make assumptions and we think if it doesn't go according to our assumptions, then, well, God, you, you've messed up. Like, you, you, you missed a step. Like, God, I told my wife a half an hour, so shouldn't it have been a half an hour? No, because I'm not God. And so as we go into some, some scripture this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4. I got a chance, actually, just in case you didn't know, this, this week we hosted, and actually next week, or this coming week, we'll actually be hosting the Valley Pastors Prayer Network. So all the pastors of different churches in the Valley are invited every Thursday to pray together over things that are common in the churches in the Valley, and common, obviously, with, with non-Christians and Christians alike. And we had these front two rows, plus a couple in the third row, full of pastors just coming together to pray. And we got a chance, as Rise Chapel, we were hosting it this week and next week, we got a chance to talk about anxiousness. And I just shared a little bit, kind of a, a pre-sermon with them. And we went through Philippians chapter 4, and, and there was a lot of different words in there, but one of the things that you'll notice when we first get into that, and it's the title for today's message, is that it's a command from God in the original Greek, it says, it's a command, it says, be anxious. But there has to be something that's following that. So the, the, I think the ESV and the New King James and a couple of others kind of translate it somewhat literally. And you'll see here, chapter 4 of Philippians, we're going to start in verse 6. And it says, be anxious for... Now, all the, all the worry warts in here are like, yes, finally, biblical justification for being weird, right? What's the word there? Nothing. So you can find a way to take something and make it into nothing, then you can worry about it. <laughs> well, Joe, I can tell you how. I did it just today. Let me just share with you how much... Well, I don't know. In some ways, I really, I really can't stand. This sounds weird. Sometimes I don't like being someone who speaks on the truth of God and speaking a message that's transforming because transformation has to happen 
in order for it to be a message. And guess who has to be transformed first? Yeah. So in order for me to tell you what a bruise looks like on my face, guess what has to happen? I have to have a bruise on my face. So what did I have to go through this past, well, realistically, six weeks, maybe three months? Challenges to the things that I thought were sure in my life into anxiousness. That's not fun. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you all so you have to deal with it this week too because I love you. It's, it's, so, it's so strange. It, it, you know, two mornings ago, my wife and I had noticed some weird things going on. With a, We have a hot water tank and a boiler, and we noticed a little bit of water underneath, and I'm thinking, oh, that's a little strange. So we sopped it up and, and saw, you know, maybe it was kids playing with knobs or something. The next day it wasn't right. Next day it wasn't right. So we're thinking, okay, let's call someone to fix it. We're not calling in the weekend because I'm cheap. So la- yesterday morning we woke up, and I walk into the laundry room. It's like, splash. Okay, we have a bigger problem than I thought. So we sopped it all up and, and, and turned, the, turned the water off and got things cleaned up and messed around with it some. I thought, I'm going to do some things and make sure that it's good. It'll, it'll be better. So we turned the water back on. Everything seemed to be fine. The tank filled up. Everything was great. We left. We went tubing. We come back. Bigger splash. Water's running into the living room underneath there. Under, a threshold, threshold coming out. Big splash. Everything's soaking wet. And of course, we only have wet towels because we just got done swimming. So we're using wet towels to wipe up wet stuff, and i got a squeegee that I'm squeegeeing because there's a drain in the middle of the room, but because of good contractors, they put the tilt to the floor, to the walls instead of the drain because they're smart, right? They're professionals. So after we got all that mess cleaned up, I thought, okay, you know, we should be good. I'm leaving the water off. Um, I was screaming like a three-year-old girl in the shower this morning because it was very cold, and... Oh, oh, there's another thing. I woke up at 2.30 in the morning because it started leaking again because I forgot and left one of the valves on. So that was fun too, 2.30 in the morning. And so there's this constant thing hitting me of like, you know, be anxious, be anxious. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's what I'm doing, God. I'm obeying you. But the problem was for nothing. For nothing. And and I love just the the songs that we sang this morning, the the challenge that he gives to us. When we read the scripture, go back to Philippians 4. Go to verse 6. Be anxious for, get your pencil out, here's the list of everything, for nothing, and and that's it. That's it. That's literally the end of the command. Be anxious for nothing. It's a negative command in the Greek. Then, but, here's the transition, okay, here's what we can really freak out about, right? But in everything, by, here, here's how we're going to respond. By, by prayer and supplication, we'll talk about that word, that's a confusing word. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and, and you could take that phrase and say it doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8 and 9 are going to be homework for you all. But as we read through that, we see be anxious for nothing. We see in everything, and I love those words. Those are exclusive words. If I say, I'm going to give you nothing, what am I going to give you? Nothing. There's no other way to say it. If I say, I'm going to give you everything, what are you going to get? Everything. There's, there's no wiggle room. We're like, okay, well, nothing. I mean, like, that means, like, if it's really scary, then I can, because that, no, nothing. 
What if it's like darkness and like a cave and there's literally nothing? Can I be afraid of that nothing? Only if anybody a fan of uh, the Neverending Story, the nothing, that's probably the only thing I could find in there. You can be afraid of the nothing. It's not real, so technically it doesn't work. But either way, we're going to go into something that seems to be very odd. And I think Christianity and, and, and just conversation has turned these verses into nice statements. To, to use a nerdy word, to, we've turned them into platitudes, where we say it to make ourselves feel better, but in reality, we don't really understand what it means, because oftentimes when I get nervous, I go, okay, God, I'm going to pray. What do I do? <laughs> and I just whine. And I go, God, it's, it's, I don't feel better. Because that's not prayer. And so we're going to go into what prayer looks like, what's really happening in these verses and these commands. But I want to read it to you, this verse to you, in a different translation, just to get some additional context. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, a little bit better word, a little bit easier word than supplication, because we don't live in 1611, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if you have the NIV, go to that verse and circle the word requests. We're going to get there. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Those are two key things where we feel anxiousness, one that doesn't make sense and one that we've conjured up ourselves because we're so smart at planning everything out. It didn't work how we wanted it to. Our minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say in the prayers. It doesn't say in the answers of the prayers. It's God's peace through God. And it's very specific. So I want to share with you something that God touched on me this past winter as I was praying. And I have a, a journal that I write my prayers into, and, and, and I would challenge anybody who is communicating with God because we forget not him to write it down and go through it all. But I was writing down a bunch of prayers, and I've got this list of prayers, this list of prayers, and it just keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And I go back through it all, and I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Well, two months goes by, and I, and I feel like God's telling me, go back and read your prayer request. So I go back and read it. I was, was, maybe am, a baby. It was all whining. It was all worries. None of it was true worship and request to my God. I don't like this, and this isn't, and I, and I got sand in my bathing suit, and all these things are so terrible. None of it had anything to do with what I needed from the Almighty. And so God began to, to and, I, and I turned the page, and I said, okay, God, I, I, these are real things. He says, bring your cares in First Peter. Is it First Peter? Maybe Second Peter. One of the Peter letters. He says, bring your cares to me. Why? Because he just loves listening to his wine and laugh at us. No, because he cares about our cares. So he says, bring our cares. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to bring these to you. But then I drew a line right in the middle of my notebook. And I said, here's my worry and my wine, and here's my prayer. And you know what it did? It completely forced me to look at that worry, and sometimes I didn't even have a prayer. You know what I wrote next to it? Shut up, Joe. I'm not kidding. I wish I had it with me. I have it at home. That's what I did, because I looked at it, and I'm like, okay, here is Joe's problem, and let's look at it in the context of God. I don't have a problem. Next, <laughs> go, go to, and it was amazing to see how much I was not talking to God. 
I just said, sit down and listen to me because life is so hard. Come on, Joe. I completely was missing the point. And so I had this transition from, from worry to prayer. That's biblical prayer. I'm telling you in a humble way, I wasn't doing it. And then God began to show me what biblical prayer is, the guidance that we have from him of what communication with him is. Here's a great example. If we look at prayers communicating with God back and forth, if your marriage relationship or your friendships with everyone were, just sit down and be quiet, I'm going to tell you how bad life is. How long is that going to last? That's what Facebook is for, okay? Real people <laughs> communicate back and forth, right? You share a concern, and then you have some sort of compassion or maybe a snarky response to snap them out of their foolishness, whatever it is. We would do that with God. I do believe God has told me to shut up before because I need to be told that. Not because he hates me, because he knows I can handle it. Some of you might not be able to hear that without crying. Awesome. God's not going to say that to you. Relax. Some of you aren't as pig-headed as me. But this ver- these verses here, verses 6 and 7, walk us through what biblical prayer looks like. And I want us to realize that it starts at a root of worship. That wrong worship, and you can, you can put that, when you write this down in your notes, you can put right next to it, sin, that's what wrong worship is, produces an anxious heart and mind. Why do I say the word worship? Well, in this section, verse 6 and 7, the context, the root of the word prayer, and the root and the, and the subject in anxiousness, and the solution in verse 7 is a worship-centered relationship. As you go through this, this word prayer that's in here has at its core worship. You'll see here in verse 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. That word here, its root is worship. It's not just simply, God, here, get these fixed. When you're done, send me a text. It's prayer that starts out with, our Father who's in heaven, and I'm not. Holy are you, and I'm not. Your will be done. Maybe a little bit of mine. No. We start off with a worship. So I want to give two, two guidelines that God has walked me through. I will tell you, I'm, I'm not anything I, I speak from. First off, if I ever say that I've arrived, start throwing chairs. But I ha- and I haven't arrived. This is spoken of and taught from in the midst of struggles. In the midst of God said, here, you have a problem, Joe. And this is what I want you to walk through to repair this in your life. So when, when anxiousness strikes, now let me just ask. Some of you are already getting anxious when I said, let me ask. How many of you have ever, in your life, ever struggled with worry or anxiousness, no matter how rational or irrational it is? Right. Some of you who aren't raising your hand, you're like, I'm not sure if I want to do that. I'm kind of a little worried about what he means by that. You're struggling with anxiousness right now. You're struggling with it. So when we have anxiousness and worry strike in our life, I want to have four points for us from this that I want you to look at. Number one, we start when it shows up. Don't sit there and go, you know, I I think I can get this. I can fix it. No, stop. Anxiousness is arriving as a result of something that started a while before it shows up. A while before. Number one, when anxiousness and worry strike, start with this. Worship God for who he is. And I was specific in that. For who he is, not what he's done. Because we're going to start whining about how he's not doing what I want him to. 
Worship him for who he is. His very existence requires worship. He is higher, he is greater, he is the most high, he is the almighty, the creator of all, and deserves us proclaiming worth to him. That's the word worship. So when anxiousness and worry begins to strike, start with this, worship God for who he is. Number two, the next thing we need to look at, Confess those fears. Don't try and be a tough guy or tough girl and say, I'm just a little worried about. No, just say this. I am terrified to the point of crying right now that this is going to happen. Be honest. And say, God, that's wrong for me to not trust you. Be honest. Why? Why? Because we can't get to step three and four if we haven't truly established who the problem is. It's us. I watched a, a neat teaching by Stephen Furtick related to anxiousness, and he said, it's not a coincidence that I is in the center of anxiousness. It's usually the core of our anxious problem. I. It's us. And so we, and be honest, I have things in my notebook, in my prayer journal, you guys are never allowed to get near, okay? You would commit me. You would probably have me arrested for how weird it is sometimes because of the things that God, and don't you dare judge me because you're just holding it in your head, the same thing I'm writing down, Okay? confess it be honest be genuine with it because number three is this now here's what we haven't done yet thank him for all he's done that changes a lot that changes a lot. How many of you are the kind of, don't raise your hand, how many of the kind of people, the personality that you can look at a beautiful sunny day and say well there's a cloud. I mean, it could get bigger. Probably will. In fact, it's going to rain later. Right? We're good at that. We can come into a room and it can be spotless. And there'll be a, f- a fleck of dust and then you're like, pigsty. Why? Because of that piece of trash in the air right there. Well, what about the beautiful, smelling, looking, clean room? It's not perfect. You're right. You're right. But isn't the rest of the room beautiful? Isn't the rest of our life, when we get perspective, isn't the rest of our life so much more amazing? No, it's not, Joe. Well, then, oh, well, when we die, it's all going to be perfect. And we're not promised perfection. The promise we have is that in this world, we will have troubles, and in this world, we will have help through them. And in the midst of the blessings, in the midst of the smiles, in the midst of, of, of the sadness and all the things that go on, the consistent thing, and you can look at joy versus happiness. Happiness is this up and down line moving in life. Joy says this all the way through. An even flat line. That doesn't mean we're not weird. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. When, 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 when that's, that graph starts to go down, it's, you know, November, 29th or February 3rd or whatever it is, there starts to be more struggles in life. We can look to what the world says. We can look at the speck right here. Or we can go to the joy and say, well, wait a second. It just doesn't matter. In the context of real life, in the context of what matters in eternity, it doesn't matter how low it gets. It doesn't. That's a conscious decision, though. That's not something that I've arrived at where I'm like, hey, I got it. I don't know what your guy's problem is. I'm raising my hand first. I'll show you how not to do it. So number three is thank him for all he's done. Have an attitude of thankfulness. This this word here, grammatically, as you go through Philippians chapter 4, it says, by prayer 
and supplication by prayer and petition is a combination with thanksgiving. Grammatically, if you took apart that sentence, the with thanksgiving applies to the whole action of prayer. So here's what you would think of. If I had a plate of dinner, and I've got mashed potatoes, and I've got gravy, and I've got some fresh dinner rolls, and I've got a whole hunk of some kind of meat that's been smoked and cooked and done perfectly, and I've got some vegetables in there just to, for color, not necessarily for eating, and then all these things going on on my plate. What do you do? You take salt and pepper, and you put it over the whole thing, right? Unless you're super, super specific, and you probably have all kinds of anxious problems, and you're like, well, I just want salt on this one, just pepper on this one. Just salt and pepper the whole thing. That's how our prayer needs to be. Not a selective of like, well, God, I specifically thank you for this, and I don't want to thank you for this because you might make it happen again, and while I learn from it, I don't really want to go through it. Just say thank you, God. Just salt and pepper the whole prayer life, the whole time with God of, of, God, I need this, and I thank you for all the other times you've provided. God, I ask that you would speak to me here, and I thank you for speaking to me all the other times that you have spoken to me. We proclaim that glory. We proclaim the truth that he's already accomplished in our life through the whole prayer time. Why does that matter? Because faith is not a feeling. Faith is trust, which is a choice, in the character of the God we know. And if I'm not proclaiming that character, how can I build my faith? If it's not coming out of me, where there's, where there's this reminder of who, who he is and how great he is, how am I going to grow in faith? I'm just going to turn to whining again. Probably not going to do it anyways, God, because yesterday was bad. I didn't get fries with my value meal stuff. Number four, request specifically what you, and you can even put the word perceive, perceive you need and what? Leave it to him. If we gave it to the almighty, should we take it back? If, if you get to the end of your rope with your vehicle and, and you've gone through everywhere and you can't figure it out and you bring it to the mechanic and 15 minutes later you all of a sudden are like, oh, I'm just not sure if they can fix it. Are you going to make that car better by going and picking it up and towing it home? No. You're going to irritate Josh. No. Actually, you're going to give this guy business. <laughs> 188, I need a tow, Right. We're not going to fix it. When we realize we have an issue, and then we hand it over to the authority of fixing those issues in our life, if we go back and go, well, hold on, I was just kidding. I think I can do it this time. We're never going to fix it. We keep going back and go, God, here, take this. I, I trust you with it. Well, not right now. I think I got it now. We go back and we grab it. When the reason for giving it was that we couldn't. So when we pray and we request and we're specific... We leave that with him. So here's something that's interesting in this. Some people hear the word specific and they go, absolutely, God wants to give us everything that we've asked for. I believe God calls us to specific prayer to expose our lack of wisdom. Because I will tell him exactly, and also we use the word tell, I'll tell him exactly what I think it is. But here's the problem. I don't leave the solution up to him. Go, God, just wanted to let you know, 20 bucks short, I need 20 bucks tomorrow. Great. He wanted to give you 200. 
How about I'm short money, God? I trust you to provide. Tell me where I need to go. Tell me the steps I need to take, whatever it is. And I trust you for the solution. We can, if we're hungry, we can go get a McDonald's cheeseburger. Or we can have a jet pick us up and drive, fly, drive us, fly us. That'd be a long drive. Fly us to Ruth's Chris and have everything set perfectly for us. We can truly, truly trust him for the solution or tell him what we think his job is. Now, mechanics, doctors, specialists in this room, don't you love it when people give you advice about your profession? Isn't, doesn't, when you hear that, you're like, oh, I love that. It makes, mm, they're so cute when they do it. I've never said that. I was in IT for 15 years. Anybody who tried to help me with their problem, I, I just, I wanted to just hit a button and make it crash worse and just go, ah, yeah, solution didn't work and just walk away. In business consulting, some of the times I remember talking, they're like, hey, yeah, we invited you in because you're a professional and you know way more than we do, but we have some things we want to tell you what you're going to do. Okay, then we don't have a relationship here. Okay? Remember, you brought me because you're not smart here and I am. The same thing with any specialist in here. You would never do that. Some guy coming in at three, 400 pounds to, a, to someone who wants physical training, like, hey, listen, I can do a plank. No, actually, you can't. That's why we're here together. Because there's a specialist, there's a skill here, there's an ability here that's not present here. Kind of works that way with our God, but in everything. It's important. And I want us to realize that when we see that word requests, it means what it means. That the request itself is not a demand. If we approach our prayer life, when we go to God and treat it as a request and not a demand, it it changes prayer. Oftentimes we will pray requests and then hold God to the details. You know what that's called? A demand in disguise. Well, what do you mean? Well, if you went to a restaurant and you said, you know, do you have this? They didn't have it. Are you going to be happy? No, you're not. Oh, that's okay. Just never come in here again. We're not happy. Because oftentimes we treat it as a request, but in our heart it's a demand. You either you will meet this request or you will pay. We don't treat it as a request. How do you say that, Pastor Joe? Because that's what I do. I struggle with the same thing. I struggle with going through that. When I go to God and I go, God, I really have these things. And then and I open my eyes and he answers the prayer. And I'm saying, God, that's not what I said I needed. It was a demand then, not a request. It's important to realize who God is sometimes. Hence, point number one, worship him for who he is. Start that focus. When that anxiousness comes up, we answer it with, man, God, you're good. It's just amazing. Go read Psalm 73. The the, the psalmist in that point wrote it. It says, God, you are good. You are good. Verse 2, I almost slipped, though. I completely forgot how good you were. I started to look at the world around me and thought, man, I want that. I want this. I don't have this. I want this. This is great. Everything happens good for them, and it's horrible for me. And then he gets to the end of it all. He goes, man, there's nothing on earth. There's nothing in heaven that I desire except for you, God. I literally am sustained only by you. 
and he gets refocused. Psalms records another session of just who God is in Psalm 115. It says this, our God is in the heavens. That statement from a a Jewish person in that time frame was beyond what we can see, what we control. We fly in airplanes today. Their their brains would be exploding for the things we see and are part of. That wasn't possible. You're in the air, that means you're dying soon. So when they say our God is in the heavens, they're having this statement of super high beyond what we could ever touch or be involved with. He does as he wishes. Do we realize that? That we serve a God who is so mighty and sovereign, he does what he wishes, and yet somehow it is to the 100% perfect benefit of those who follow him. I don't understand that. I can't do that. If I do something completely what I wish, most people ain't going to be winning. It's going to be me. There's not six lanes here. There's one. Mine. There's not a stoplight. I don't feel like I want it to be a stoplight. I'm going. Nobody wins except for me. But somehow the Almighty, our Creator, has the ability to be completely selfish and about Himself, which is a good thing, and we all benefit. That's kind of weird to think about. But it's true. He's completely absorbed with Himself. If He wasn't, who should He be absorbed with? Me? No, me, Joe. Okay, fine. You? 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 No. He has to be all about himself if he is the almighty, the most high, the creator of all. God is in the heavens. He does as he wishes. And he allows us to bring our cares to him because he cares for us. Man. My cat doesn't get that. I don't think cats in general get that anyways, but my cat doesn't get that. There's so many things in this creation that God hasn't said that to, but he said it to us. That's fascinating. It's amazing to me to see that while God is so focused and, 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 and he will accomplish what he has set forth to do, he does it in a way that his creation benefits us as humans. That's a huge blessing. It's proof that he wants a relationship. But I want us to realize something, though. Oftentimes when we read this scripture, we will, we will say a phrase. We've even shared with people before. I've even heard from people outside of the church and Christianity in general. They will say, you know, I don't really believe in God, but I really believe in prayer. I really believe in prayer. I've heard people that have walked away from the faith and started to come back and they go, you know, I'm really struggling with church. I'm struggling with God and Jesus and all this stuff. I mean, I kind of believe in, in this, you know, greater being and everything. And I really believe that prayer works. Well, Let me just show you my point. (laughs) Prayer doesn't work. I just want to be very straightforward. Prayer doesn't work. God does. Prayer doesn't work. God does. Because oftentimes we will, and and here's the problem. If we say prayer works, what are we going to do? We're going to create a formula. We're going to create a reason to memorize it. We're going to have things we have to hold on to while it's happening. We're going to have all these things and feelings that have to go on because prayer works. No, it doesn't. God works. Richard Vermbrand, who is a, Horrifically tortured man for Christ. If you haven't got the book Torture for Christ, get it and read it and fix, fix the things that we believe about missions and, and communism and so on. 
He said, as he was being, uh, sharing a story of what happened to him, he and a group of people in these communist prisons in Romania were crucified to crosses, left laying on the ground. Their faces were used as bathrooms for weeks on end. And when he gets out of these prisons, he's sharing with all these church leaders, and, and they're saying, Richard, Richard, what is it that got you through it? Which verse? It had to be Psalm 23. That's a dark valley. Richard, who knew Scripture, who taught Scripture, who spoke it, who believed it, responded to them, no Scripture worked. There's nothing in the Bible at all that helped me. And the whole group of Christians there is like, oh, great, he's left the faith. He goes, but it was Jesus. It was being right next to him. Because as soon as we separate that it's God, not the translation, that it's God's truth that I internalize and have a relationship with him, we realize the power. Because the power is not in the paper, it's in the person. It's not prayer that works, it's God that works. And so it matters who we're talking to and how we relate and what we say, which is why we start first off with, I'm talking to the greatest of all. We worship God for who he is, number one. We have that mindset. It turns then prayer is now a relationship, and it's going to look and sound different for different people. It's going to, some people will be much stronger at it because they're so relational, and I am jealous of those people. To be very honest, I wish I could be that close to God. But then there's another side where people who are so focused on that, I don't know the method, I haven't done the formula, so I just don't do it, and we're missing out on the relationship we can have. Throw away the ideas. It is our creator, and he is begging for a relationship. Just talk to him. Isn't it nice to hear sometimes just as humans, hey, you did a good job on that. Hey, that looks really good on you. Something about us, just to say someone admires something of God's creation in us. Let's talk to the creator with even more honor. Place him where he belongs. Put our hearts in the right place. I want us to also look now, as you get into the next verse, there's this phrase called guard. Let's let's look at that. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of of God, which blows our minds, it surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. It will guard our hearts and minds. Now, if I'm in some sort of military position, and I'm going towards a city that I want to take, do I guard it before or after I take it? After. Why? Because it's mine. Make the connection. Make the connection. We have to give God our heart and mind first before we ever can have his guard and his peace. So what I want us to realize is that there are a couple of things that we need to stop in our life as part of taking victory in certain areas that God has given us victory in and build a lifestyle where anxiousness and worry don't win, where we're guarded from that. Here, here's what I want us to start with. I want us to really realize that we can build a lifestyle where anxiousness and worry are less frequent or non-existent. We can. I'm not saying that there won't come a life or come a time in your life where you wonder. I can tell you that there's a way out to give your heart and your mind back so it's truly guarded by God. How could a man who sat with his face as a bathroom still come out of that and go, man, I love Jesus and everything he's done to me? That's phenomenal to think about that. I don't know that I would be there. Not saying that I can't. Not saying that it wouldn't if that ever happened. 
Psalm 139 begins to look at fixing the heart. Search me. Not search my boss. Not search my spouse. Not search the neighbor, jerk, their dog. Not search anything else but me. We want it all to be about us anyways, right? Search me, God, and know my heart. Yes, we want that. Test me. (laughs) Not really liking that one. And know my anxious thoughts. Okay, now it's uncomfortable. Now I'm exposing everything that I have said, God, you're great, just not here. Know my anxious thoughts. How many of you have ever felt that impending doom, that dread, but you, you can't mark it in your life? You can't say, this is the thing I need to just dig out and get rid of, and then I'll feel better. I've been there. Until I went to God, honestly, and said, God, there's something wrong with me. I am messed up. Show me. Speak to me. And he exposed it. Most of the time it's going, hey, Joe, this uh, right here, you've been doing this on your own. You want me to take care of it? Because I've been asking you for a while. And so we give it to him. And it is phenomenal because sometimes it doesn't come back or it comes back and it looks way different than we expected, but it's way better. The next verse says this, see if there is any offensive way in me. Here's what's amazing about this. The, the Lexham English Bible is a very literal Bible in the sense of translating phrases and context for what they really meant originally. And the, the neat thing about the phrase in this, it says, see if there is any ways of the other gods or worship of them. It's a worship problem. See if I am worshiping anything but you in my life and lead me in the way everlasting. See if there's anywhere that I'm worshiping something else and not you and lead me to the you way, not the other way. So when we pray this prayer, which is also part of homework, we've got a whole bunch of homework, so you're going to have to copy a lot down later. I've got five stop signs to warn us to not go down certain roads in our life. As we think about this prayer, first stop sign is this. Stop worshiping yourself. Okay, cool, I don't do that. Yes, you do, because I do. What does that look like? Pride. Pride. If, if you think, you know what, you're good, you don't have pride, we can't evaluate ourselves. You know why? Because pride is the only disease that makes everybody else sick except for the person that has it. Isn't that true? You all know it. The person that has pride, as soon as you're near them, you want to throw up, don't you? But they're perfectly fine with it. Give me more of me. I taste great. And you're sitting there looking at it going, I want to throw up just being around you. If you don't realize it, they are the most amazing person ever. And if you still don't realize it, they'll make sure you know, right? Pride. If you think you don't have pride, go to your closest friend or your spouse and say, do you think I'm prideful? And wear a cup, guys. Ladies, get some tissues. Because there are areas in our life where we think we are great. Our ideas are the best. Our perspectives, that's when we worship ourselves. How I see it is how it is. And you are deluded. Because that's not how it is. It's how it is for you. We worship ourselves in that. Where we think, well, they just meant this about me. No, they didn't. You're not that important. And that's what social media is for, Again. If you ever read Matsu Valley, Who Not to Use, talk about the opportunity to be the most graceless, jaded people. Someone just posted about complaining about one of the pumps at a gas station. People, get a life. 
It doesn't work right, so don't you dare use that gas station. Uh, okay. Scroll. It's a complete waste of our life. The pump didn't work. So switch to another one. So, no, man, I almost said something I shouldn't. Okay, next. <laughs> Stop worshiping ourselves. You know, it often shows up in control. It shows up in control. Well, I'm not controlling. Yes, you are. We all are. We want it how we want it, when we want it, why we want it. We're very controlling. Some of us are far more than others. Some of us lean one direction or the other. But we want control. If God said, here, have the steering wheel for a day, every single one of us would go, yes! Oh, no, I wouldn't, Joe. No. Well, your first sin, then, we're going to deal with today is lying. Because we would. Here's the steering wheel. I've been waiting for this. I'm just going. Hold on, God. Get a seatbelt on because uh, I'm going to show you how this thing's meant to be driven. (laughs) Right. And when he's winching us out of the ditch we get ourselves into, we say, sorry. And then he looks at us and goes, that's why I drive. Kind of like when you're driving, teenagers learn how to drive. Number two, worship problem number two, stop worshiping peace. So many times we seek peace. Peace isn't achievable. God provides it. I can't go and and dig it up and go, I found peace. No, you didn't. Unless it's a literal word in your Christmas decorations or something, but it's, you can't find it. It's provided by our God. Even God says in John, He says, listen, the peace that the world gives, that's nothing. It doesn't exist. It's, it's a vapor. It's like cotton candy. You drop it in the water. Boom. It's gone. It looks like it might work, but it doesn't. Jesus says what? The peace that I give is totally different. Transcends time. Peter looked out of it and said, we need to praise God for this living hope, the life giving hope. Not a hope that's like, I'm going to create a happy scenario in my place. There's going to be flowers and unicorns and lollipops and rainbows. It's still the third week of February in in Alaska. And there's no unicorns. It doesn't work. Because peace isn't something that we can find or conjure up. We have to go to the provider for that. So we can't worship peace. Some of the ways we worship it, how we seek it, some of us will seek it through aloneness. I just, I just, I just got to get away. It's just, oh, now, now it feels peaceful. No, you know why it's not? Because now we got to deal with this. And this. So we still got to go back to our God and go, mind and heart, I need your peace, God. Some of the other ways we look at it is it could be isolation, it could be hiding, but it also could be control. Why? Well, I I live my life in a specific way according to this schedule because it has the most peace to it. I don't have to run into these kind of problems, I don't have these kind of issues, and I don't have any life or joy anyways, but I have this peace. And we seek and worship peace instead of the provider of peace, and guess what? We get neither. We get neither. The next thing that I believe God's calling us to, to stop, is we need to stop worshiping provisions. We need to stop worshiping provisions. What does that look like? Could be money, could be toys, could be, and this is a common phrase here, control. I just, I, I like to have a certain standard of living for my family. No, we want to enable a certain level of laziness. 
I don't want to put an effort here, so I want to be able to pay that to happen. I don't want to struggle here, so I want to pay for that. I don't want to have this, I want to pay for that. I'm sorry, but I never said to my dad, ever, you know, Dad, I wish you could have had the air conditioner one degrees cooler and less of you. I remember telling my dad one time, Dad, I would rather sweat and hang out with you because we were talking about value and money as a family in one of our Bible studies. I remember saying that to my kids. I said, honestly, guys, if God puts us in a position where we're living in cardboard boxes and cooking over sternos or whatever, at least we're going to be together. And I'm going to share with you how God works and provides in all situations. Because that's what matters. But we will worship provisions. We will worship a little bit more. And that God will always provide a little bit more. Sure, you can have control here. Upgrade a few years in the car. Here, upgrade a little bit here. Hey, you can be warmer this winter if you upgrade this. Hey, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. There's ways that we worship provisions. And we don't worship the provider. We feel a lack of peace when the paycheck doesn't come through on time. I had that happen two weeks ago. It was a direct deposit from a company that I work with doing consulting. Payday comes, it doesn't show up. Next day comes, it doesn't show up. Now, I haven't gotten paid in six weeks because we took time off, so I wasn't charging anything. Next day comes, it doesn't show up. So I just sent a text. Hey, you know, wondering what's happening. Two days later, he goes, hey, it should have gone through just fine. An hour later, it shows up, which to me is like, you never did it, so now you're reminded that I was supposed to get paid. But there was a temptation to try and take control. Call again, Joe. Email again. Text. Call someone who knows him. Talk to someone else. Maybe badmouth him a little bit so you feel like you're a power. Every one of those things went through my head. Could have worshipped provisions. I had every opportunity like all of us. Number four, this is a different one. This is one that God really hit me on. Stop worshipping decisions. Now, what does this look like? Well, we worship decisions when we get indecisive. Now, some of the husbands here are like, hey, man, you're going to order dinner in 37 seconds now at the restaurant. We're going to do marriage counseling in a few weeks too. Stop worshiping decisions. We do it by indecisiveness. When we stop, when we go, I'm just not sure. Uh, green or red, green or red, green. I'm colorblind. I don't even know which one's red or green. I, which one do I do, God? God's going, I don't care. They're both for you. Just pick one. We worship decisions when we make the decision bigger than the one that we're walking with. We worship decisions when we hold back because we're fearful that if I take the step, what if God's not with me? I will never leave you nor forsake you, signed our creator. We can't be indecisive. Just do it. Well, what if it messes up? You're you're right. I don't know how God's going to fix that problem. He conquered hell. I think he can handle when we, in life, he's got it. We, we, we worship decisions when we think that our knowledge of the situation, and man, I'm punching myself in the gut on this one, when our knowledge of the situation is all the knowledge available in the situation, and we don't do anything. I just need to know a little bit more before I make the decision. Now, I use that tactic with salespeople because I really don't want to do anything anyways. But in real life, I just... I, I need to know a little bit, a little bit more here. God says He's all knowing, not us. Just make the decision. And in fact, I'll challenge you. If you have something today 
that you have not made a decision about. Proclaim God's greatness by making the decision and saying, God, if it's wrong, guide me. I'm not saying sin, okay? But proclaim God's greatness by going, God, I believe this is where I want to go. I love you and I want your guidance, so I'm taking this step. Fix it if it's not, because I don't know anything else, God. Let's see what he does. Guess what? God doesn't look great when he's within our strength. He looks great when he's outside of our strength. He doesn't look that great, that big, that mighty when it's encapsulated in this scrawny little punk. But he looks awesome when I've stretched my hands as far as I can go and he touches the walls for me. That's a mighty God. That's a great God. Next, we have a worship problem when it comes to, and I kind of hinted at this before, but I wanted to dig into it. When we worship our perceptions, when we believe that everything we've seen in the you know, approximately 170, 160 degrees vision that we have in our life, everything we hear, which is limited frequencies, everything we see from a color range perspective, which is different for every single human on earth, everything we taste and smell, when we think that our perceptions are the deciding thing, well, I think this, I feel this, I sense this, and therefore I make some sort of decision, and my perceptions now become God. Well, because I feel it, it's this. I'm not minimizing feelings or thinking. Those are real, but how we deal with them in the context of our God working in our life versus the context of our inability or our lack of strength is what changes us in our life. Because I think or feel something doesn't make me crazy. It means that I have to deal with it differently in different situations. The worst thing I've ever heard is sitting in on counseling one time and hearing a counselor look at someone and go, listen, I know you feel that, but you just have to realize it's not real. And I actually had to stop and I said, no, 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 no. Those feelings are real. Their perceptions may be wrong, but the feelings are real. Well, how could you say that? I said, well, just the other day, I heard your wife talking to someone on the phone, and she said, I love you, but you were sitting next to me, and it really sounded like really emotional. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Exactly. Your perception, you think your wife was cheating on you. She was talking to her dad. Our perceptions are, are so warped. They're limited in our understandings, but yet we act like, and we think, and we try and act in, in, our, in our, our decisions as if we are God. So what do we do? We worship those perceptions. We give them more worth than what God has to say. We look at someone that dressed a certain way, talks a certain way, acts a certain way, drives a certain way, whatever it is, and in our perceptions we go, that person doesn't have a use. How dare we? If we look at them through the lens that God has, we can say what I got a chance to say to a young lady this week. She was sharing how her family and friends had always had this debate on how much and how valuable children are. And they put a number on it. Well, it costs this much, and so therefore that's their value. Well, I immediately, you know, hair is up on my arm, my blood pressure's up, my face is turning red, I'm sweating. And I was frustrated. And I said, I, I said to the, the people that were discussing it all, I said, I have really strong opinions, so if you want to ask me, you can. But if you don't, then definitely don't. Like, well, yeah, Joe, what do you think? I said, okay, fine. Let me just say something. Value is not determined by money. Not at all. And I looked at the guy who was sitting there trying to calculate all. I'm like, you got five dang kids. You're going to put a number on that? 
I looked at the young lady and I said, what's the number that's been put on you? I was like, well, my parents used to say I cost this much by the end of my life to them and everything else. And I said, I don't care what anybody has ever said to you. The only thing that determines value in your life is your creator. And he says, you are priceless. Do you know what happened? She started weeping. She said, I've never heard that in my entire stinking life. She's 24 years old, guys. She never heard she was priceless. Some of us need to see that. Some of us need to say that. Her boss says, that's really weird to hear that because I've 100% always believed life is performance-based. However you do is where your value is shown. I never thought of people being priceless. We are priceless. And our perceptions do not determine someone else's value. They determine our depravity, not their value. So we need to stop worshiping perceptions. We stop worshiping ourselves. We stop worshiping peace. We stop worshiping provisions, decisions, perceptions. The next thing we need to look at is start. And this is very simple. And this is how I love it. Oftentimes sin has so much complexity to it, but the work of God is usually real simple. Maybe not easy, but it's real simple. Based on what we just read of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, here's what we have. Start verbally, actively, and consistently giving everything to God in prayer. Verbally. Some of us need to pray out loud. Some of us need to say, I, I tell you what, people, I had a guy drive by me one time, and he's, he texted me with voice to text. He's like, hey, I just drove by you. Everything okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, well, you were like mouthing, like bobbing your head. I'm like, yeah, I was yelling at myself because, you know, I'm an idiot. Sometimes we need to just say it like, Joe, stop. This is not true. God, you are great. Keep both hands on the wheel. I mean, maybe like have an elbow up or something praising if you want to. Actively. Sometimes in our life when the lies of our enemy, the lies of evil come in, the lies of just our own confusion come in, we passively, we're like, oh, that's not right. If anybody did that coming into your house or your family, you're going to be like, hey, don't do that to my wife. Don't mess with my... None of us are doing that. We're calling 911 going, hey, y'all got to clean up on aisle three. No one's going to mess with us or our family. But sometimes we passively deal with things in our mind and we toy with the cobra. We can't. We need to actively go, no, no, uh, 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 that's dead. That's not true and replace it with the truth. And the final thing is consistently. Why do I say consistently? Because our enemy consistently wants to come after us. We need to consistently battle. If you win one battle, you're going through a game or a real true life situation with war or something, and you, and you knock off one enemy, you're like, hey, man, I'm the best. No, you were. We don't just stop because of one victory. Life is a battle until it's over. Now, we have a ton of cover. But the battle isn't over until my last breath. So I want us to realize that. There are good and bad things that we have to give over to God. Part of this, this everything is we give Him glory for good. Part of this everything is we give Him glory in the bad. Everything equals everything. What this starts to sound like now is a relationship that we are so close to God that we never lose sight of who really holds us. 
I won't have a worship problem of me if I can't even see me through the arms of my Savior. I won't have a worship problem of perceptions if all I ever see is what Christ is showing me. I won't have a worship problem with with control and decisions when I'm constantly seeking His wisdom in the situation. If we are so close to our Savior, this doesn't become an effort, it becomes a lifestyle. Where we are actively guarded by the one who owns our heart and our mind. Otherwise, there is no peace without that guard, without that cover. And I want us to realize the promise of God you'll see here in Numbers. God isn't a mere man. He's not me. He can't lie. He isn't a human being. He doesn't change his mind. He speaks, and then he acts. He makes a promise, and then he keeps it. That's awesome. Because as hard as I try, sometimes I can't keep promises. I could have, could have done it with all the honor, all the respect, and I still will not keep a promise. If you've ever tried to drive from Anchorage to the valley in the winter and say, I'll be there, I'll, I'll be in Wasilla right at 6, I promise. And the response back in text is, you're a liar. Because it's not going to happen. God fulfills those promises. God's the one who can't ever be wrong, can't ever miss a mark. He's never late, even though we may think so. And he's never wrong and misses what he said and promised us. So go back in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to get into the homework. Finally, brethren, whatever things, and these are, if, if you have your Bible and you have something, mark these words, whatever is true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, dwell, drown in, hold your breath underneath these things. Let those roll around and around and around and around in your head. Not the, you're not good enough. It's probably going to fail anyways. Yeah, it's sunny, but rain comes all the time. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, meditate in these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul saying his example in following Christ, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. If you want peace, we've got the four steps we talked about from, from verses 6 and 7. And it's part of that guarding exercise, the God of peace being with her. The guarding exercise that happens is he gives us truth. He gives us that nobility, that glory to see, a justice in a God who's always just, a purity in a God who has no failure or, or problems in him. Beauty and virtue and praise unending. God wants to guard us in that. So here's the challenge. What does this look like this week? What does it look like tomorrow morning? I'll tell you personally for me, this is a pastor, and I know other pastors have told me this, after teaching Scripture, every single teaching point is challenged by the enemy, by our flesh, by our fears, all night and the next day. 
I'll, I'll listen to the teaching in my mind of something I said. I'm like, man, that was, that was terrible. You know what's great? Like two days later, I'll get a text. Hey, pastor, when you said that thing, God totally ripped my soul open, and I completely am dedicated to him now, and it's amazing what happened. And what do I say? Sorry, God, because it was you speaking. There's lies that come in. So here's the challenge. I want us to look at, at, I give you six days of devotion, all right? And there's a piece of homework that I want to challenge everybody to. So here's the first piece of homework. Number one, first piece of homework is you're going to get a piece of paper or a notebook and start the worry to prayer notebook. Take a, take a notebook, draw a line in the middle of it and type worry or wine or whatever and genuinely and honestly and truthfully write out what is on your mind and heart. Bring your cares before him because he cares and then put prayer directly answer what you've said with prayer in that right-hand column. A worry-to-prayer notebook. Well, I ain't going to do that, Pastor. I, I don't worry. You will this week. Start that worry-to-prayer notebook. Here's the next piece I want you to look at. I'll leave this up. Six days. Of scripture to read. Six days of scripture to read. We're going to go through these. These are scriptures that I did not have time to go through and study. I have probably chapters more, pages more of homework for us to do that I wish we had way more time to speak and talk about. But the homework starting here in Psalm 139, what is that? We already read it. Search me, God, and know me and tell me what I'm anxious about. Tell me what's wrong with me. I feel like a paparazzi here. You guys are all got your phones out. Matthew chapter 6, John chapter 14, Psalm 38, Matthew 13, 1 Peter 5. Go through all of those. This will take you all the way to Saturday. Is that right? No, starting Monday. It'll take you to Sunday. Yes. So maybe I'll teach on 1 Peter 5, 7 next Sunday now. Go through these over this week. Let God speak to you through these related to anxiousness and worry and concern. Here's what I want to do this morning in our closing. I love having an altar call every Sunday. I love giving the, the gospel to where someone can say, you know what, I want to make a decision for Christ first or millionth time, whatever it is. We're going to change that a little bit this morning. It's 12.15. I've had people over the past three weeks tell me that, Joe, I thought your service time went to 12.30. I love you. That's funny. And it actually is supposed to end at 12.15. So you can pray about wisdom. Either we're going to go later or we're going to start having snipers in the back of the sanctuary. So we're going to close with a song. And here's what I want to challenge. This song has a very simple phrase in it. It's, Lord, I need you. I don't think anybody could say, well, I mean, I know I do later. No, no we do now. We do now. So we're going to sing this song, and I want you to just stand and worship and sing this song. And, and if, if you need God specifically as a Christian right now, you sing that song from your heart, guess what? He's in. It's not some special calculated prayer because prayer doesn't work. God works. It's a matter of saying, Lord, I need you. And guess what? He says, well, it's thou. <laughs> no. I need you, God. And he responds. Or God, we need you in our life. There's, there's peace that we seek, Lord. The peace that the world has to offer. The peace we've tasted before. It, it doesn't work. It's not right. It doesn't fit. 
but your peace does. You are great, God. You have moved and spoken throughout time, and God, how dare we not give you credit? Help us to truly believe. Help us to truly trust. Help us to not be anxious, but in everything, through prayer, through petition, by asking specifically the God of all creation, putting a request in front of you, God, help us to truly leave it in your hands. Help us to fix the worship problem, God. In Jesus' name, everyone together, amen, amen.